Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The window will start to narrow as they get older in regards to those who are going to develop food allergy. So we do want to try to promote this as early as possible. If you haven't introduced a certain food by 9, 10, 11 months of age, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean your child's going to have an allergic reaction the first time they eat it. Hey there, I'm Katie. Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Tell me, how's it going with introducing allergenic foods to your baby? No pressure, no judgment, just checking in today to see if you are trying to get these allergenic foods into your baby early and often. And it's important, even though it might be kind of boring and not maybe the sexier side of introducing solid foods, but we've got some good data to support this idea that the introduction of allergenic foods early and often for babies can help prevent food allergy down the road. But I wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at this idea of the prevention window. And so I'm so grateful that Dr. David Stukas is back on the podcast to help us understand a little more about this time frame for babies and particularly when does the food allergy prevention window close. So my guest if you're not familiar with his work or you've never heard him speak before is Dr. David Stukas and he is an absolute joy and a pleasure to chat with because he not only knows everything about food allergies but he also has an incredible way of summarizing the data and the current guidelines to put it into practical and applicable recommendations that parents and families can use. So he's a pediatric allergist who specializes in food allergies. He's the director of the Food Allergy Center at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And he's also an internationally recognized expert and authority in pediatric food allergies. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, he's at allergykidsdoc. And again, I know the allergy stuff can be a little bit dry and sometimes it can be scary, but I'm so grateful for experts like Dr. Stukas who are willing to share their time, come on and answer our questions, and today really help clarify what can sometimes be confusing recommendations about the time frame for introducing babies to these important allergenic foods. So with no further ado, let's welcome Dr. David Stukas, who will be talking about when does the food allergy prevention window close. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be here. I never want to take advantage of your expertise, but anytime questions come up, I'm like, we got to ask Dr. Stukas to come back and got to ask him to come back. So I know you've been here before helping our audience learn about, for example, we did an episode on the limitations of food allergy testing. And it's one of our most downloaded episodes because it blows parents' mind that like up to 50% of food allergy positive results are actually false positives. So 
But to back it up for listeners who maybe have not heard from you before, could you give us a background of your work and what you do as a pediatric allergist? Oh, absolutely. So I'm more than just a pediatric allergist. I know. Sorry, you're so much more than that. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I meant more just that I really just focus now on just food allergy, which is it's changed my whole career. We opened our food allergy treatment center at my institution, Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, a year ago. We just celebrated our one-year anniversary. So this is all I do now. But as a pediatric allergist immunologist, you know, I receive specialized training in treating all sorts of allergic conditions, whether it's food allergy, asthma, environmental allergies, eczema, medication allergy, venom allergy, all that stuff. But now all I do is focus on food allergy, which has been amazing for me because I am seeing all of the little tiny nuances in regards to how food allergies can present and how we can manage them. I promise you and your listeners, this is not one size fits all. It is not set it and forget it. Our approach to food allergies has changed dramatically just in the last few years because the evidence has evolved. I know it's hard to get excited sometimes about things like allergies, but I think it really is such an exciting time to be working in this field because we have more and more data that's really kind of paving the way. Whereas I used to feel like in the, like, I don't know, 20 years ago when I was studying to be a dietitian, we were just kind of like, grasping at straws in the dark, it felt like, just don't feed your baby egg until one. Well, why not? Well, we don't really know. And there's really no research, but it just feels right. It's like, we don't do that anymore. There's so much more evidence to support the guidelines today regarding food allergy introduction. No, there are. And you know, I liken this to where we were with asthma 10, 15 years ago, that we're in the same place with food allergy. And where we are with asthma now is we know that there it's not just one size fits all. There are many different types of asthma and there's different approaches to therapy and prognosis and management. And we are just on the cusp of that with food allergy. Are there people out there with very mild food allergy? Yes, there are. There are people that, you know, no matter how much you feed them, they're not going to have anaphylaxis. And there are people that are exquisitely sensitive. And if they eat trace amounts, they could have a life-threatening reaction. Now, we're still trying to figure out how to best identify those nuances to help those families navigate it. But you're right. A lot of what we did in, in regards to uh, introduction guidelines was just based upon experts at the time thinking what was the best approach, which made sense at the time. We don't want to second guess, you know, ourselves for decisions we made years ago, because we all do the best we can with the evidence available at the time. But we absolutely have to allow ourselves to adapt and change our approach as the evidence evolves and accumulates. If we've learned nothing else over the last couple of years of living through this pandemic, evidence evolves. Uh, That can be really hard for people to understand. And, you know, from a healthcare professional standpoint, we have to acknowledge how hard that is as well. And we have to be able to say, like what I do every single day, almost every single exam room, listen, the conversation we're about to have now would not have taken place five years ago because the information we're going to discuss now didn't exist then. So I think we just have to acknowledge that it's okay to kind of change and change can be hard. Especially from kid to kid. We have some families, I know I was just working with a mom who had a 10-year gap, baby has food allergies. And she's like, this is so different from what we even did 10 years ago. And That's what we're here today is talking kind of about timing and using food to prevent food allergy. And we know that there's pretty good data and updated current guidelines that support this idea of early introduction of allergenic foods to prevent food allergy. And we know and are always teaching parents, listen, there's no benefit to withholding introductions of these foods to your babies. But I wanted to ask you about this idea of the protective window for when introducing foods can help prevent food allergy closing somewhere around the 11-month age. We started to hear more about this kind of 11-month. Where's this info coming from? And is that truly when the protective window does close for babies? Yeah, so before I talk about that, I think it's really important for all of us to acknowledge that there has been a culture of fear created around food allergies over the last couple of decades. We're part of it. The general public's part of it. The commercial supplement companies, if I may, are a huge part of it. No, everybody's afraid to feed their babies. 
If you take a thousand babies born today, 920 of them, no matter what you do, will never develop food allergies. Think about that. So if all of those thousand families are treating their babies as, as if they're ticking time bombs, that they're going to explode the first time they eat a food, that's a disservice to the vast majority of those families. So we just have to, first of all, acknowledge that the vast majority of children will never develop food allergies, no matter when you feed them. That being said, we have learned through excellent evidence, both through observation data and through randomized controlled trials, where we actually take two groups of children at a very young age and give half of them allergenic foods like egg and milk and peanut and things like that. And the other half, we avoid introducing until a certain age. Then we see which groups develop food allergy. And there are differences in those who start eating foods early in life, as opposed to those who wait. Now, as far as these specific numbers, I really want everybody to understand that a lot of this is made up to a certain degree of when you design these research trials, you have to come up with some endpoints. You have to, otherwise you can never answer the question. So a lot of the observational data or even the introduction studies, you just have to pick a time point. The pivotal leap study where they actually demonstrated for the first time that the earlier we introduce peanut to infants and keep it in the diet can dramatically reduce the risk of developing peanut allergy. They just chose the age range of four to 11 months. That's what the researchers looked at initially, and they went from there. A similar study called the EAT study looked at multiple different allergenic foods. They went down to three months. So there's a range here. And it's not like the day your baby turns 11 months of age, something switches in their immune system. It's not black or white. There's huge variability, but we can take our understanding of these different studies and then group them together to offer guidance to families. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what do you do for parents? Because you are always working with parents in the clinic setting, in a research setting, and it's like they're scared about introducing these new foods. And we try to show them the, you know, the only thing that you have control over as far as reducing your baby's risk for food allergy is to introduce these in a timely fashion. Sometimes the parents have babies nine and 10 months old and they maybe done peanut or have maybe done egg. Is it still possible for them with older infants to get the protective effects of quote unquote early introduction? Or do you kind of move them along at a maybe a little bit more quicker pace not without panicking them, of course. I'm just curious because there's parents of older babies listening for sure. Yeah, it goes back to what I mentioned before. The vast majority of children will never develop food allergies no matter what you do. So yes, there's still a window of opportunity. Now, we do know that the earlier we introduce and keep it in the diet, that's the, it's not just a little taste and then you go six months without giving it again. We want to have it actively included in the diet. That's our best bet to try to prevent food allergies from developing. It is advised to start between four to six months of age which is just when most infants start to demonstrate the ability and interest to eat solid foods. That's when we typically introduce purees and cereals and things like that. So we want to make sure they can chew and swallow before we do it. So that's just the window. Some infants may not be ready until they're a little bit later, but the window will start to narrow as they get older in regards to those who are going to develop food allergy. So we do want to try to promote this as early as possible. But that being said, if you haven't introduced a certain food by 9, 10, 11 months of age, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean your child's going to have an allergic reaction the first time they eat it. There are other risk factors we can take into play. Does your child have moderate to severe persistent eczema? Not just little patches here and there that pop up you know, over time. It's truly persistent eczema despite using a good daily skincare regimen, potent topical corticosteroids, things like that. Is there a family history of food allergies? Has your child developed food allergies, uh, allergies to other foods? 
And the thing that I say to parents is that, look, if you're scared about this and you're worried about food allergies, let's do everything we possibly can to prevent that from happening. Let's keep this from introducing into your life because this is a life-changing experience. But it's also important to acknowledge that nothing that we do in medicine is 100% effective. Nothing. So there are children that despite early introduction will still develop food allergies. We don't fully understand why, but the pathway towards preventing food allergy for the vast majority is to introduce it early and keep it in the diet. And also, I think we should remind parents who came on a different episode talking about this kind of tendency and proclivity in some healthcare settings to over test for everything. And if you guys are interested in testing in episode 125, Dr. Sukas was here talking about why are false positive results in food allergy testing so common? And the answer is not to go blanket test for every single food out there because you never test for a food that your baby has not reacted to. Is that still your general thoughts, Dr. Stukas? From a medical standpoint, I've actually changed since we last spoke. Oh, Corey, good thing you're back. Yeah, and I say to them, I say, listen, from a medical standpoint, there's really no indication to do any testing. The best test is what happens when you eat the food. If you're eating a food without having reproducible symptoms, you're not allergic to that food. If you've never eaten a food, I can't predict whether you have a reaction to that food. Just because you have an elevated skin test or blood test, it doesn't diagnose you as having food allergies. So from medically speaking, there's no indication to do any food allergy testing. And then I say, but I'm talking to you. You're a human being. You're a parent. You have fears. You have concerns. So if there's a role for limited testing, I'm happy to do that with you as long as we go into it with the understanding together that just because there's an elevated result, it doesn't mean we have to avoid the food. In fact, I'm going to say, come back into my office as soon as possible or even today and let's feed that food under supervision because your child may be sensitized but tolerant. And if we avoid that food, they're the ones who go on to develop allergy. If the tests are negative, that's great. Go home and feed all these foods at the same time which is one more important point I, I really can't emphasize enough. There's emerging evidence. It's not clear cut, but emerging evidence that diet diversity matters. So the more foods that we introduce to babies and keep it in their diet from an earlier stage, that's associated with decreased risk of developing food allergies. And why is this important? Because there's a lot of people out there still saying one new food every five days or one new food every seven days. So let's do the math. If you do one new food every five days, that's six new foods a month. And then over six months, between six and 12 months, that's only 36 new foods. Whereas if you give, because most children will not develop food allergies, you give multiple foods, either on the same day or within just a couple of days, you're going to significantly expand their diet. They're going to love to learn you know, different textures and different tastes and different foods. They'll be healthier, have more nutritious options, and you'll also lower the risk of developing food allergies at the same time. So I really want to uh, emphasize that point as well. And I see you smiling. So I know. Well, you know, I can't help myself, but the, the whole research about diet diversity, the underpinning of my 100 First Foods approach for baby led weaning is helping babies learn to eat. We follow my five-step feeding framework. We do five new foods a week, including one allergenic food every week. It's 20 foods a month. In five months, your baby has achieved 100 foods with all the different textures, with the high iron foods. We've gotten all the allergenic foods in, and then we're working them and continually offering them to babies. So we're getting those foods in early and often. And I was smiling when you said diet diversity. I'm actually in an advanced food allergy course for dietitians taught by Karina Venter and Marion Gretsch. And we were just looking at the diet diversity data out there. And it's so nice to be able to focus on all the foods babies should eat, right? As a dietitian specializing in baby led weaning, I want parents to walk away thinking, gosh, look at all these foods that my babies can eat instead of which historically, you know, and no offense to pediatricians and physicians, but more than 90% of them have never taken a dedicated nutrition class. And so we run into this problem of many physicians still perpetuating these age old myths of waiting three to five days between foods. And we're actually seeing that that could potentially be doing more harm than good because there's certainly no need to wait. So we want you to be inspired to try all these foods with your babies, including the allergenic foods. It's a paradigm shift. You know, all of us, no, pediatricians and parents, we don't want to harm our child. Nobody wants that. 
But we also have to be able to understand, oh, wait a minute, what we once thought was true is no longer true. Even kids who present with their initial allergic reaction, it's often just rash and they might vomit one time. Very rarely do they have, you know, respiratory compromise with the throat swelling shut. And if you're truly concerned about it, instead of waiting five days between foods, just give a small amount, wait five or 10 minutes, not five or 10 days, give a little bit more. Nothing happens, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Go slowly. And then if symptoms do occur, they'll generally be more mild. And then you'll have an idea, you know, not to give any more of that food. And Marianne's coming on later in the month to talk about FPIs, which is a very unique and distinct subset of potential food allergies. We remind parents that with the vast majority of food allergies, if your baby's going to have a reaction, it will occur within minutes and up to no more than two hours following ingestion. So this idea of like, I'm going to try a strawberry and then three days later, the gosh, the stool looks unusual. I wonder if they're allergic to strawberry. That's just not how it works. And so there really is no need to build in this three to five day window, which is just slowing down our babies from doing what they want to do, which is try a bunch of new foods while they're under this flavor window. So I want to ask you if it's okay to go to the opposite end of this protective window for food allergies, the age at which we start the introduction of allergenic foods. And a lot of practitioners just let it just kind of rolls off the tongue, four to six months, four to six months. But the physiological changes and differences that occur in babies from four months till six months of age are really different, right? Like two months to you and me, not a big deal. But in the developmental lifespan of a baby, what they can do at four months is significantly less than what they can do at six months. And so we generally don't recommend starting anything except breast milk or formula or offering that to baby until six months of age because they're not sitting up relatively independently and they don't need anything from a nutritional standpoint. So outside of like the very, very high risk for peanut category, which we know there's benefits to introducing peanut prior to six months for those babies, for everybody else, is there really any data to support the idea that earlier introduction of allergenic foods at four months, is that hard and fast, yes, more protective than starting at six months of age for foods like egg and milk? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's where it gets tricky. And as we sort of talked about at the beginning, there's these different cutoffs for different studies. So the earliest one was the EAT trial where they went down to three months of age. And if you look at the study overall, they didn't see a significant difference in those who started eating at three months versus six months. But if you look at the group that actually could adhere to the number of foods and how much they asked them to eat, there was a difference, especially for egg and peanut. But to your point, that shows that I think 70% of the children weren't able to eat all that food starting at three months of age. So they just weren't ready yet. But in in fairness to the study, I mean, they were talking like egg whites and like sesame paste and fish and things like that. So yes, it's a window. This is one of the most common things that I hear from parents of, you know, comparing your child to another child or to other siblings. The developmental milestones are this broad range of not days, months for some, and it's all normal. Some children may be ready to eat at four months. Others may not be ready till six months, but I don't want anybody out there sweating or thinking that if you don't do it by a certain date, that you're not going to achieve the outcome you want. You have to go by what your baby is showing as far as the readiness stage. And we don't want you to feel any undue pressure to do something your baby's not ready for yet, right? We always talk in feeding about meeting your baby where they're at, but we also just like these ideas to be on parents' radar because let's say you're not paying attention between six and 12 months and now you've got a 15 or 18-month-old and you haven't tried any of these allergenic foods. We know that that's not ideal either. Right. No, you're absolutely right. So there's, you know, as with everything in life, there's, there's a happy medium. 
I think of everything as a bell-shaped curve, right? So the vast majority of people fall in the middle. Then we have our outliers. The vast majority of infants will be ready to eat solids probably around five, six, seven months. I think there's that two-window group there. Some a little bit earlier. Some may not be ready till a bit later. Does that mean that they're abnormal? No, it just means that they're outliers within the normal spectrum. Uh, and then you know, figuring out where your baby lies, it's, it's up to you and your baby and hopefully guidance from your pediatrician. I do want to caution everybody out there from the stories that you read on social media. And, you know, I, I look at this stuff sometimes, it's almost horrific to me because one, to touch on your point earlier, a lot of people were saying, well, this is what my allergist told me. And I say, well, that was either outdated or it's been proven incorrect. So yes, they told you that, but that was five years ago and things are different now. Or the second thing is what we, we think of as like these echo chambers or bubbles. When I post things about FPIs, it seems like everybody on social media has a baby who has FPIs. Any baby who's ever vomited has FPIs. Like, whoa, no, no, no. I mean, this is all I do for a living. And, you know, we see thousands of patients a year. We diagnose FPIs like 10 to 15 times. So it's very rare. Uh, is it out there? Yes. Uh, but, you know, just because your baby has these symptoms, it doesn't mean they have that diagnosis. I just want to point out that we had to wait <laughs> to do our FPIs episode. I think it's going to be um, episode number 230. So it was like, we need 229 other data points before we even talk about it because your baby is very, very unlikely to have FPIs. But again, sometimes the power of social media, like I love, parents can see babies eating meat and eating food-based versions of all these allergenic foods. And I love that. But on the flip side, they hear about something like FPIs and if they don't truly understand it, they think any vomiting incident is an indicator of FPIs. And then they are unnecessary withholding huge categories of food and important foods. So we don't want that to happen to you, but we do have an FPIs episode coming up soon. Excellent. So Dr. Stukas, thank you so much. Before I let you go, I'm just curious, any interesting projects that you're working on, anything coming out soon? You're always kind of on the cutting edge of food allergies and pediatrics. So just interested to hear what's inspiring you these days. Yeah. So with the launch of our center, um, I'm honored to serve as the director. So I have to get all of our clinical operations up and running and I have my dream list of things to do, but we didn't even wait. Like we, out of the gate, we just adopted the approach we always have. So we truly have this holistic approach to treating food allergies. It's not just avoid your food, have a nice life. We address psychosocial concerns. We address anxiety. We do these proximity challenges where people, honestly, this is the most powerful thing I've done. They legitimately think they're going to die if peanut butter touches their skin. And, you know, they're gripping the chairs in fear. And, you know, there's myself and we have a psychologist involved and we show them, we can say, we can take away the what if scenarios and show you, uh, it doesn't mean you're not allergic to it, but it, it shows you the casual exposure is not going to cause any symptoms at all. Or if they do occur, it's a mild rash. So we're doing a lot of that. Uh, we're going to be starting our oral immunotherapy program very soon as well. Uh, it took us a little while to get our logistics in a row, but we want to do it right. So we want to make sure that's right. And we've already started our clinical research trials. We're we're involved in one right now, and we already have two more ready to go. So we are just, we're doing everything we possibly can to help the families in our community and beyond. And it, it's an honor to do so. It really is. Well, thank you again for sharing your time and all your expertise with us. Tell us and our audience where they can go to learn more about your work there as a pediatric allergist specializing in food allergies. Yeah, so you can, I'm pretty active on social media. Uh, you can find me both on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at allergykidsdoc. If you're not sick of my voice, I also serve as the social media editor for the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm the producer and host of their podcast series, Conversations in the World of Allergy, where we have uh, you know, excellent you know, experts from the world of allergy talking about all kinds of things. So uh, check me out online. And I will link to your podcast as well as all of your social handles and your website on the show notes for this episode, which you guys can find at blwpodcast.com. Dr. Stukas, thank you again. Always a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you guys enjoy hearing from Dr. David Stukas. He's one of my favorite people, certainly in the food allergy world, because 
I hate to break it to you, and food allergies aren't always that interesting to parents, but he has such an incredible knack for taking what can be sometimes scary and confusing information and putting it into, I hate to say bite size, but bite size bits of information that parents and families can really use. So I'm going to go ahead and link to all of Dr. Stukas's resources as well as his podcast and his social handles. They'll be on the show notes for this episode, including some of the other interviews that we've done. If you want to explore kind of more of his take on infant feeding with regards to allergenic foods, we've done a number of different interviews together over the years. Uh, That'll all be on the show notes for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 227. Thanks so much for listening. And if you haven't done an allergenic food this week, go to your 100 First Foods list, pick out one of the allergenic foods and make it a point to introduce that food early and often. Get it in your repertoire and keep moving forward with those allergenic foods. See you later, guys. Friends, are you looking for a new podcast? Maybe something you can share with your littles? Something that has some storytelling in it? Well, then look no further. We have Storytime with Philip and Mommy, where my son and I sit and discuss all the great books that you might love while we read them. So, Little Golden Books, Berenstain Bears, and even the new classics like Bluey. We sit down, we read, we discuss, and we have so much fun doing it. Come and join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.